Well, thanks, Terry, for reading that passage for us. I got very excited about this earlier in the week when I realized that uh, verse 24 says, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. And then if you turn over the page to the very last verse of this chapter, verse 42, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple... Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So there's a link between those two verses, which is a little bit hidden. But uh, the word for student in verse 24, the student is not above the teacher. That word is disciple. And then in the very last verse, if anyone gives a cup of cold water to a disciple, that person will not lose their reward. So in a sense, this passage is all about being a disciple, being an apprentice, being a follower, being a learner of Jesus. And as the pastor for discipleship and teaching anything about discipleship is going to resonate with me. So that got me very excited to to see that link. Uh, But as we've already said, last week we started looking at this chapter. It's not an easy chapter to work our way through. There are some tricky things here for us to think about and to try and get our minds around. But last week we we focused on the first half. This week we're going to focus on the second half of the chapter. And it's, it's helpful to know what Jesus said, isn't it? I think you'll agree with me. To know what Jesus said is at least a helpful thing. It might be a good thing, it might be an important thing, but it's at least a helpful thing. I think most people would agree to know what Jesus said is, is helpful. But it's not obvious, to me at least, that I know what Jesus said. And that's why it's worth spending time uh, in a passage like this. So let's start with a bit of a recap from last week. In this chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples. We see that, um, well, the very first verse of chapter 11 says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And in verse 5 of chapter 10, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So Jesus is instructing his disciples. He's telling them what he wants them to do. So to kind of understand that a little bit. Think about uh, the manager of a top football team just before a really important match and the kind of discussion that the manager would be having with his players before they go out onto the pitch to play a final or whatever it might be. Or imagine the, the director of mission control at NASA just before the launch of a rocket that's going to take people to the moon. Imagine how he would speak to his team and discuss with them what they're going to have to do in order for the mission to be successful. Well, that's what Jesus is doing in this chapter. He's telling his disciples what they need to know. And uh, last week I said a little bit about these 12 people that Jesus sent out. It seems that they were a group of ordinary people. 
Um, We are told that at least four of them were fishermen. One of them had been a tax collector. As I said last week, we're not told an awful lot in addition to that about these 12 people. But what is interesting is that none of them, as far as we know, was a religious professional, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee or anything like that. So what, what was it that Jesus wanted them to do? If we had to just kind of reduce it all to a, to a very simple, okay, what did Jesus want them to do? What would we say? I'm not expecting anyone to come up with an answer, but I thought I'd just give you time to think about it. Jesus essentially wanted them to do the things that he had been doing and to say the things that he had been saying. He wanted them to follow his example, to do the things that they had seen him do with their own eyes. And back last year, we were looking at chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew's Gospel, and in there we have Jesus going from place to place, healing and healing people, cleansing people from leprosy, driving out evil spirits, even raising the dead. And at the end of chapter 9, as I said last week, Jesus comes up with this well-known phrase that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So there's lots of work, but there aren't many workers. So he sends out these 12 disciples, or these 12 apprentices, if you like, to do exactly the same things that Jesus has been doing, the things that they've seen him do. So if we had been there at the time, you know, this, this happened, this was a moment in time, if we'd been there, would Jesus have chosen us to be part of the twelve? Would we have wanted him to choose us to be part of the twelve, I wonder? It does seem like Jesus was the most amazing person to be around And they'd seen him perform miracles, but now he wants them to perform miracles. And that must have been at least a little bit daunting. It's one thing to see miracles, and it's another thing to be told to go and do miracles. And Matthew doesn't tell us how they responded, but he does tell us that Jesus gave them authority to do these things. In fact, that's the first thing that Jesus did, uh, as we looked at last week. He gives them authority, and I take that to mean that he gives them the power and the ability to heal and to cleanse and to raise the dead. Jesus could do these things, and he gave them the same ability. He passed on to them what he could do. And this seems like a pretty extraordinary thing to do. But then in the rest of the chapter, it's not what Matthew is focusing on at all. The miracles that Jesus wants the 12 disciples to do, there seems to be a connection with what they are to say, uh, because there's a message that they've got to announce. And it's exactly the same message that Jesus announced. It's the message 
that the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's in verse 7. As you go, proclaim the message, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in much the same way as I don't have much experience of, uh, of performing miracles, although I know that some of us have had that experience, I can't remember the last time I announced to someone that the kingdom of heaven is, is near, <laughs> even though I believe that wholeheartedly. But perhaps it's a little bit different for us. Um, they would have been very familiar with the, with the power and authority of the Roman Empire, the ruling power and authority in the land at the time. And they would have experienced the influence of that kingdom, that empire, on their daily lives. And they were aware of what it meant to be ruled by other people. And they knew all about... Um, desperately waiting for a kingdom to come, for the kingdom of God to come, or the kingdom of heaven to arrive. And in a sense, the history of their people was one of coming under the influence of other kingdoms. So there'd been the Babylonians, and the Assyrians, and the Egyptians. And if we know our history, we know that this was a people and a land that had been dominated and had been under the authority of other kingdoms. But they had been promised that a time was coming when there would be a change and another kingdom would begin and this kingdom would fill the whole earth and this kingdom would be one that would never end. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were looking forward to. And suddenly these 12 disciples were to announce that the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom, this eternal kingdom, this kingdom that will fill the whole earth is near, just as Jesus had been doing. Okay, so that's the foundation of this chapter. But Jesus has a lot more that he wants to say to them and to us and Perhaps unsurprisingly, the rest of the chapter is basically about the kind of reaction that they're going to get as they go out, the kind of reaction that they are going to encounter. We might think that they're going to be welcomed with open arms wherever they go. Well, we know that's not how the story works out, but you you could think if they've got the power and authority to heal the sick and to raise the dead, then surely people are going to be enthusiastic about that. But we know that it isn't the case. Jesus has himself experienced that miracles can be disturbing and announcing the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is near is to announce the arrival of a fundamental change. And both of these things will challenge the norm, will challenge the status quo, will make people uncomfortable. The message and the miracles are going to provoke a reaction. That's what's happened with Jesus. That's what's going to happen with the disciples. When you've been waiting for something for a long time, when that thing happens, it's almost certainly going to be a surprise. You've been waiting for, for years, for centuries, and suddenly that thing is here, and it's, a, and it's a huge surprise. So as well as saying and doing the things that Jesus has said and done, 
the disciples are going to get the same reaction as Jesus himself received because this is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Look again at verse 24 and 25. The student is not above the teacher, Jesus tells them, nor is a servant above his master. He wants them to think of themselves as students, as disciples, as apprentices, and as servants. And this is what he wants them to know. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. He wants them to be like him. But then if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Now, Beelzebub is the prince of demons. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have come up with this explanation of how Jesus can drive out evil spirits, how Jesus can raise the dead, how Jesus can heal people. They have to come up with an explanation because they are the experts in these matters. And the explanation they come up with is that Jesus is able to do these things because he has the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And Jesus is very straightforward with his disciples. If they've called me Beelzebub, if this is what they've said about me, then you can expect exactly the same thing. But don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Three times between verse 26 and 31, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't know about for you, but when I think about what Jesus wants me to do, whether that's standing up and giving a talk or meeting with someone or whatever might happen during the week uh, as part of my job, I'm not always very comfortable with what I think I'm being asked to do. And, and I can feel afraid of a situation or of the unknown. And we, we're all similar in that respect, I think, uh, whether that's to do with our own work or family situation or if we think that Jesus might be asking us to perhaps speak to someone or help someone, maybe that's a situation where we wouldn't necessarily feel like we have everything that we need and therefore we might be afraid. Or we might be afraid of the reaction that we're going to get because there is opposition when we're known to be followers of Jesus and when we try to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. But Jesus repeats, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Even if bad things might happen, and in the first half of the chapter, as we were looking at last week, he talks about when they're going to be arrested. He talks about when they'll be persecuted. He talks about kind of families um, falling apart or attacking each other, and that's going to come again in the second half of this chapter. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of people who can kill the body because they can't kill your soul. So, in a sense, our physical bodies, we know, are only temporary. Our soul is eternal. The kind of opposition that some people today in the world are facing is a physical opposition that threatens their very lives. And Jesus 
says to us all, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. And don't be afraid, verse 31, because you are worth more than many sparrows. And not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. God knows all the details of our lives. He knows that we're here this morning. He knows what we did before we came here. He knows what's going to happen this week. He knows what he wants us to do. And he wants to encourage us at every moment. He wants the words that we have here to be in our hearts and minds. The words that Jesus spoke are really important, not only helpful, but really important for us to know. And for us to hear, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In verse 28, there is a contrast. And I'll mention this just briefly. We won't go into it. But there's a contrast. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, hell's not something that we talk about very much in our everyday lives, but Jesus has already mentioned hell in his Sermon on the Mount in chapters um, 5 and 6 and 7. And I think this is a reality. There is one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Otherwise, Jesus would never have, have mentioned it. And when it says, be afraid of, of, of God who can destroy body and soul in hell, it's not be frightened of God. It's have a respect for what God can do. Realize what God can do. Respect God. And by comparison, the people who threaten us physically... We're not to be afraid of them. So it's a, it's a contrast, it's a comparison that's going on. And God knows all the details. So what the disciples are to do is to go out. Jesus is sending them out. They're to go from town to town and village to village and they're to announce this message about the kingdom of heaven. That's not the only thing that they're to talk about. Verse 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. So what do you think that's about? What do you think Jesus is referring to there? What I tell you in the dark... Speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Well, one possibility is that the things that we're told in the dark, if we think about the dark, we think about the nighttime perhaps, and in the nighttime, sometimes we have dreams, and maybe through our dreams, God speaks to us things that should be shared with others, speak in the daylight. And in fact, this week, one of our church family um, had, a, had a dream. 
about someone that they'd been praying about, and that person shared that with us. And it was amazing how God was speaking into a situation that we've been praying about for a long time, but revealing just how, how interested God is in every single person and how God can reveal things through dreams and other ways that give insight so that we can pray with greater precision, with greater passion, with greater desire. I was just amazing. That made me think of, of what's going on here, things that Jesus reveals to us that we are then to share with others. And it's all about Jesus. This passage is all about Jesus. The opposition that the disciples are going to face is because of Jesus. In verse 32, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. People won't have the opportunity to acknowledge who Jesus is unless they hear about who Jesus is. And how are people going to hear about who Jesus is unless Jesus' disciples are involved in going out and sharing with other people the things that Jesus says and does? Verse 34, Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to, be, to bring peace, but a sword. Again, it's not what we would expect Jesus necessarily to say. Often we think about Jesus bringing, being the one who brings peace. And there are verses that talk in the Bible talk about the peace that Jesus brings. But here perhaps there's a, a reference back to the first half of the chapter. In verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, As you enter a home... Give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. So as the disciples go out, let's just think about this. As the disciples go out from village to village and town to town, we know that they are to heal and perform miracles. We know that they're to to announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. But what are they actually to do? What's, what's, the, what's the plan of action as they go from town to town or village? Well, Jesus explains they enter a town or a village and they look for something. They search for something. What do they search for? Verse 11, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. So the plan is for the disciples to go out and be looking for people who are worthy. Worthy, what does that mean? Well, Jesus comes on to that again at the end of the chapter. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I imagine that worthy means someone who is open or responsive to what you have to say. 
And we know this, don't we? We can sometimes find ourselves in a conversation where we are talking about Jesus. And sometimes the person that we're speaking to is just has absolutely no interest whatsoever. There's <laughs> no point in trying to force the conversation. It's not going to work. But other people, you might start to talk about Jesus, and there is an interest there. There's a, a desire to hear more. And I think that's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. Be on the lookout for those people as you go about, as you go from place to place, as you encounter people. Be on the lookout for those who, as you have opportunity to talk about spiritual things or about God, to gauge their reaction. As you enter the home, give it your greeting Again, I wonder what kind of greeting Jesus was expecting his disciples to give. Well, he's told them to announce that the kingdom of heaven is near, so perhaps that's part of the greeting. They go to a place and they say, you know, the kingdom of heaven is near. And if that's your greeting, depending on whether that greeting is welcomed or not, determines whether you will stay or whether you'll go. And the thing about peace is that the disciples, the idea is not to go and start an argument. Even though they know, because Jesus has told them, that what they will say will trouble some people, will cause people to be stirred up, to to provoke quite a strong reaction sometimes. That's not to be their, their way or their method. They are coming as people of peace. The disciples themselves are to be bringers of peace. We're to be bringers of peace. We're not meant to argue um, and cause trouble. We are to bring our peace, and if the reaction, the response that we get is worthy or deserving, then let our peace rest. But Jesus knows that he's not come to bring peace to the earth. And in verse 35 and verse 36, we have this quote from the book of Micah. Jesus says that he's come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And that raises the question, why is Jesus suddenly quoting from one of the Old Testament prophets? What is there in the book of Micah that Jesus is thinking of as he speaks these words? Because the quote is almost identical. If I read it from Micah chapter 7 verse 6, It says, for a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. I think the people's initial reaction to Jesus can be very, very mixed, can be quite diverse. And even in the same family, 
What the members of the family think of Jesus and their response to Jesus can be very different, even members of the same family. And Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with that. At least not initially. He goes on to say that anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Again, this word worthy. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Families are really important to God. And family relationships, we want them to be as good as possible, but they're not always easy, and we know that. Jesus' message is that he has to be more important even than the members of our own family. Not because he doesn't want us to love the members of our families or to be in good relationship with them, but because of who he is and what he means to us. So if we love Jesus and if we're following Jesus and that creates a problem with someone else in our family, then Jesus is saying, don't give up on me. Don't stop following me. Stop loving me. Stop doing the things that I want you to do because of a reaction of someone else, even someone really close to you in your family. Because Jesus can handle that situation. And Jesus is more, it's more important for us to follow Jesus and continue to follow Jesus than anything else. That's what Jesus is saying. It's all about him. And then finally in this chapter, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, verse 40. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And remember, this is Jesus talking to his disciples about the kind of reaction that they're going to encounter as they go out, as they go from town to town and village to village. And they're to carry on doing that until Jesus comes again. So that's a task that is ongoing, continues today, searching for people who are worthy, who are deserving, who are receptive to Jesus. But these disciples, as they go out, if someone regards them as a prophet, which is what they are, they're going and they're speaking God's words, then that person, with that reaction to them, will receive a reward. Or if someone that they meet and engage with considers them to be a righteous person, then again that person, that kind of response, will receive a righteous person's reward. So often I think the focus can be on, on us. 
whereas Jesus is clearly placing the focus here on the reaction of the person that we might go to speak to about him or that the disciples would go. And the kind of reaction that they have towards us, Jesus says, is the kind of way that they are receiving him. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. So after all that he's taught them about the potential difficulties, here is a much more encouraging note to end the chapter on. Because if someone welcomes one of Jesus' disciples, they are welcoming Jesus himself. If they welcome Jesus, and they're welcoming Jesus' Father in heaven who sent him. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, which is probably the, the very minimum that anyone could give as a sign of, of welcome, to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. What do you think that reward might be? The reward of receiving a prophet, the reward of receiving a righteous person, the reward of of offering hospitality to someone who's gone to speak about Jesus, what might that reward be? What would be the best reward, do you think? Something to ponder during the rest of this week. So two things to remember from this chapter. One, it's all about Jesus. He's sending his disciples out with a a really clear mission And the words that Jesus speaks are really important. There's a lot in here to get our heads around, to think about. It's not all very obvious. Jesus often says things that are enigmatic or what we've called this whole series, the secrets of the kingdom. There are things that are hidden that will only be discovered as we we pursue our understanding of those things as we go to God and say, Lord, I don't understand this. Please, can you help me to to make sense of what I'm reading here? So I encourage you to to keep reading through these chapters of Matthew's Gospel as the weeks go on. And do that prayerfully, asking God to reveal things to us that we can then make known to others, as it says in this passage. So... Plenty more to discuss in our house groups later in the week or over lunch later today. But let's leave it there.